Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, as we look at verses 13 through 20 this morning. Over the last few weeks, obviously, we have talked a lot about the life of Jesus. We've talked about He is the greatest life that has ever lived, and we understand that. He has impacted every part of history, every part of life itself. Jesus has. His life, that one solitary light that He brought, was strong enough to impact all of history, everything that we know. And we've been looking at how Jesus himself, through his life, ministered, how he was the teacher, how he was the healer, how he was the one, how he's the one unlike any other. And today I want to look at this Jesus and think about his life, but also think about the confession that we make about him. Because it is so important that we make up our minds about who Jesus really is. It's so important that we know who Jesus is, that we recognize it, and that that informs who we are. Matthew chapter 16 perhaps gives us one of the clearest examples of a confession of who Jesus really is. Now, you would think I would get all the way through Jesus' life and then come back and issue this challenge. But I'm following the scripture itself because here in his ministry, before even he walks to the cross or before he is resurrected on that third day, he is challenging his disciples as to who he is, to his identity, and how that impacts their lives. So I want you to see this. Many of you have heard this text before, but perhaps God will use it in a fresh way to challenge us today. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So here's Jesus just out with his disciples. I mean, this, I'm always astounded. <clears throat> I'm always astounded by this idea that you could just walk with Jesus each day and that you could hear him teach. You could see his miracles. They're just out with him. They're going up to northern part of the nation. They're going up around Caesarea Philippi, which is the old town of Dan. And also, of course, now, unfortunately, filled with a lot of pagan influences and idols. They're going up to Caesarea Philippi, and as they're there, it's a beautiful area. If you go up there today, you'll see the headwaters of the Jordan River, just a beautiful area of Jesus teaching and sharing and going about ministry. 
And he looks at them and he asks them a question. He, he asks them something about his identity. He asks them, who do men say that the Son of Man, of course, his favorite term for himself, he said, who do these people say that I am? Who do people say I am? And I want you to hear this this morning because as we come together, what we're basically going to do is, is hear Jesus say, hey, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am to you in your life. Of course, first, they begin saying, well, you know, there are all kinds of theories out there about you, Jesus. I mean, people know you are special. They know there is something that is unique about you. And, and they're, they're beginning to describe you in terms of the prophets of old. Even John the Baptist, the baptizer. You remember John the baptizer? I mean, he's only been off the scene for just a very short time. And people believe that his spirit, the baptizer's spirit, is upon you. That you are reflecting John the Baptist in who you are. I mean, John the Baptist preached that people needed to be ready. They needed to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's very near. And so Jesus had that similar type of message. So they're like, we believe that... that or some people believe, that is, that maybe you are John the Baptist. You've returned. It's like his spirit has infected you. But yet there are some who believe that you are Elijah. Oh, Elijah was a great prophet, was he not? I love to look back at the Old Testament of Elijah, and, and uh, I, I love to see certainly the miracles that he accomplished. But in particular, I love to think about how he was there on Mount Carmel, which is not too far from Nazareth, how he was there on Mount Carmel and he faced down those Baalist priests. It was kind of the Clint Eastwood moment of his life. Some of you still remember Clint Eastwood a little bit. It was kind of like the moment where he faced down all of these pagan priests, all of these evil influences when they were trying to cry out to their gods and they were trying to manufacture some fire, it was the God of heaven that brought fire and demonstrated his life and his authority over all. Oh, Elijah, wow, that was, that was awesome. And people were saying, You're, you, you may be Elijah. Because remember, Elijah, he was just taken up in the chariot and it's like he's come back. He, he's come back to us. So some people are saying that about you, Jesus. Other people are saying that you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The prophet who came to the nation and who challenged them with judgment, who told them there was impending doom because of their sin, but also gave hope that one day they would be restored through the God who loved them and was there to shepherd them. Well, Jesus would fit that mold because he did come and he pushed back against the religious leadership and he told them that they needed a new covenant. They needed a new work just as Jeremiah had predicted. So there were so many people that had so many different ideas about Jesus or maybe one of the other prophets just so that they're good. The disciples said there could have been other prophets who were involved here that they believe that you represent them, that you are embodying their work, that you are a return to those individuals. They said, all these things have been said about you. Now, I will note that the disciples used all good things here, right? Because there had been some bad things said about Jesus as well. 
If you look at the religious leaders, especially in the earlier part of this gospel, you will see how they charged him in some very negative ways. How at some point they associated his work with the work of the devil. So there were all kinds of opinions about Jesus. Kind of like today, right? There are all kinds of opinions about Jesus out there. I mean, you don't even have to go far to really find a different opinion about Jesus. Maybe a different opinion than what you have about Jesus. There, there was a time where it seemed like you would have to maybe settle into a, a different country, a different nation, where you would have to settle into like this distant land in order to hear something else about Jesus or who he was. Now all you have to do is walk down the street and you begin to talk to someone about Jesus and you may get something radically different from what you had expected or at least what you believe. There are still people and there's still people who would put him in negative ways, but there are, there are people who would still put him in positive ways too. I mean, there are a lot of people. Jesus was an ethical teacher. He was a great moralist. He was an individual that taught us what we should live like. And those are all true statements. But Jesus was much more than that. Right? He's much more than just a moralist. He's much more than just an ethicist. He's much more than just a guy who says, hey, this is how you ought to live. Oh, but you'll find all those those kind of theories out there held by some good respectable people but good respectable people can be wrong so what does Jesus say Jesus said who do men say that I am tell me who I am tell tell me I want to hear you say it well some people say that again you're John the baptizer or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets Jesus stops and he says okay You've given me the report from others. But now you, you tell me what you believe. You. It is a collective kind of address. He's saying you yourselves emphatically. He looks at them and says, I want you to make a personal declaration of who you think I am. Don't rely upon all of the others. Just, just tell me who you think I am. You got to make a decision. You got to make up your mind. You know, you've been with me for months. You followed me because I gave you an invitation to follow the rabbi, to follow the teacher. I told you to come after me and you came after me. But you know what? You've got to make a decision about who I really am. You got to make an argument. You got to decide in some way. You got to take a position. It can be difficult to take a position sometime. Especially when you don't know where the other person stands, right? I, I, was, I was telling Abigail the other day, she was working through a paper or so, and I told her, I said, baby, sometimes you just got to take a position in the paper. Your teacher may not like it. Usually you want them to like it. <laughs> there are a lot of teachers and professors around this area. So you usually want them to, but sometimes you got to just take a position and just say, hey, this is what it is, and just, and just make your argument. Just stick to it and show them that you can 
reason what you believe. Sometimes you just got to do that. I remember when I was sitting in the uh, courses there at New Orleans Seminary and I was working on my doctorate and there were people that would come in there and they would, they would give you all kinds of information. I mean, they would write papers like this thick. You know, I was like, they, they would just overwhelm you. They knew what every church historian had ever said. They knew what every theologian had ever said. And they would come and they would present all of their information. And my professors would look at them afterwards often and they would say to them, so, so what? It's great that you've got that information, but tell me your position. Tell me where you stand on this. And you could see them beginning to like stutter just a bit. Because they didn't know where their professor would stand. I learned very quickly that sometimes you just got to make a decision. And you just got to go with it. Oftentimes, my papers would be like this, right? Compared to this. And yet, I had made an argument. I'd made a position. There are people in our churches that still have all the information. They, they can write papers like this. But they've never made a personal decision or personal confession. They've never just said, okay, this is what I believe. And Jesus said, I know what you've done. I can hear the research, obviously, you've been about. You've, you've gone out there and you've heard all these different people and what they believe about me. And they've brought all kinds of identities toward me. But I say to you, who do you say that I am? You see my life. You've walked with me. Now it's time to make up your mind. You know, Jesus is still calling people to make up their minds. He's still calling people to personal decision. Of confessing who he really is. You still got to make up your mind about Jesus. Somebody was telling me the other day, as we were discussing their salvation experience, he, he said that he had gone to church and he was, of course, growing up in the church life and all of that. And one day his sister came to him. Now, sisters can be quite something in our life, right? Some influences. Could I get a testimony today, maybe? Whoa. Pray for me. Thanksgiving's coming up. That means I'm going to see my sister. Pray for me. I love her. I love her. She'll hear this. I love her. But pray for me. That sister came to him, though. Spoke to him and said, you know what? You, you've been dealing with this. This decision about Jesus for some time. Growing up in the church, you've been kind of this and that. But it's time for you to make up your mind about who Jesus is and how you are going to relate to him. It's time for you to make up your mind. And he told me that through that conversation, he gave his life to Christ. I said, you know, more of us need to be challenged in that just frank concise way. You got to make your mind up about Jesus and who he is and what he means to your heart and what he means to your life. So one of the reasons, by the way, I still give an invitation. 
Now, I believe people can get saved at any time in any way thanks to the Spirit of God and how He dwells with us. I am thankful that the Spirit of God doesn't work just within these walls. There are a lot of times people are saved outside these walls on streets or maybe by a bedside, whatever else. Guess what? God can do those things. But I still give an invitation. Because when I preach and when I share the gospel, I believe that there are moments, there are times when people just need to make a decision and they need to make a decision then. Now some of you say, yeah, but there are just very few that walk the aisle. Aren't you embarrassed when people don't come? I would be more embarrassed that I didn't give an opportunity for people to come to know the gospel of Christ. There's a decision that must be made. And here he says, who do you say? I'm not asking everybody else. And some of you say, well, the culture. No, I'm not asking everybody else. I'm asking you. Jesus is asking you, who do you say that I am? It's a personal decision. It has to be a decision based on the truth. Upon the purity of who he is. Listen to the way Simon Peter. You, you knew Simon Peter would be the one to respond, right? I mean, he is kind of like the spokesman for bad or worse sometimes. He is the spokesman. And he says to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ means anointed one. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah, the anointed one, the one that had been promised, the one that was longed for. Remember, the Jewish people believed that there was one coming from the line of David that would be anointed. And, and literally, the idea is that in the, in the Old Testament, even New Testament day, they would take olive oil and they would pour it over a person's head or so to commission them or to assign them to a task or even to celebrate the victory that they've had. So here is the idea that it is the one who has been chosen, the one who was anointed, the one who came on mission, the one who came with a divine assignment. You are the Christ, the one that we've been looking for, the one that was prophesied in Psalm 2, the one that was prophesied by the different prophets of old. You are the anointed one. Jesus pretty much claimed that. Well, he did claim that in several different areas, but even when he preached his first sermon. Remember when he preached his first sermon in the synagogue there in Nazareth? As he launched his earthly ministry, he brought out the scroll of, of Isaiah and he read from the book and he said, as he quoted, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Same language, same word for the idea of Christ. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He brought that word. And then he looked at the congregation and he said, Today, you are seeing this fulfilled 
you are seeing it complete before your own eyes. In other words, I am the one that Isaiah spoke of. Peter said, you know what? I know what other people say. I've heard it. But for me, I accept that you are the Christ, the anointed one. Because see, when you make a decision, you need to make a decision in truth and purity. And this was based on truth. Because there are a lot of people out there that, again, are sincere, but unfortunately they are sincerely wrong. You can be sincere about something all day, but if you don't have the truth behind it. Jesus is the Christ. That is the truth. Peter knew it. He had been walking with him. He had heard him speak. He had recognized the work of the Father upon his life. But I love the way Jesus frames this. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. We'll come back to that name in a moment. But he said, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He says, You've made this decision. And it was a genuine decision that he had made and the disciples had made. That Jesus was the Christ. They had made that decision in truth. But he said the only way you can make that decision is because the Father has revealed that to you. I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. I believe that all of us, when we are presented in the, with the gospel, the good news of Christ, we all have an option to believe or to reject. I believe that there is some type of individual choice. So hear me say that clearly. But I also want to say to you this morning, the only way for you and I to be saved is for the Father to reveal himself to us and for him to show us the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness we so desperately need in our sinfulness. That's the only way. So in other words... If you are to have a proper understanding of salvation, it is that God must reveal himself to you. The spirit of God must be active and alive in, your, in who you are before you can truly accept him. I, I believe that with all my heart. It, this is not a man-made salvation. This is a God-made salvation. And you and I wouldn't even know God unless he had revealed himself to us. Unless the father had shown himself to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. I'm always praying through, obviously, is, as some of you know, I've been working with my own children through this because I want to make sure that when even children come to accept the Lord, it's not that they are just curious about the Lord. There's a difference between a curious child and a convicted child. I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is working in that individual's life. I remember when I was like 12, I was going to Birmingham Ridge Baptist Church and, and, and I heard the preacher preach every Sunday. Okay, there were a few that I kind of took a nap on, all right? But Brother Holland had one of the loudest booming voices. You couldn't sleep too long. He could shake the chandeliers sometimes. But I would listen and I'd heard the gospel. I'd heard all those years about how Jesus was the only way and that you couldn't work your way. I heard all that stuff, but it never really just, it never got into here. You know what I'm talking about? I heard it, but it was kind of like I felt like if I was just a good boy, you know, if I could just do the thing, if I was just, if I could just, I mean, I, I was the only guy 
I was the only guy that was close enough to a man that could play the piano on Baptist Men's Day, okay? And all I could really play was in heavenly sunlight. So we just sang out a lot on that Baptist Men's Day. I mean, come on, what would I need salvation for? And then one Sunday night, one Sunday night I saw somebody be baptized. I'd seen people be baptized before many, many, many times. But when I saw that person go all the way under the water and come all the way back up, it was like the Holy Spirit just took the blinders off my eyes and said, that's what Jesus did. Jesus died for you and rose again because you could not do this on your own. Jesus came because he loved you. Jesus came to save you. And I think I've shared with you before that when I left that place that night, I had one of those mean, 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 mean deacons. Now, I know you've met a few of those. But you know what that deacon prayed that night as we got ready to leave the church? I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. He began praying and he said, God, if there's one person in this place that is striving with your spirit, if there's one person in this place that's under conviction, do not let that person sleep until they find peace with you. And that was mean. I didn't sleep for like a week. I went home and I lay in bed and I just struggled with it. Why? Because it wasn't flesh and blood that I was struggling with. It was the Father's revelation to me and the Spirit of God dwelling in me, showing me that there was something that was different and that I needed to come and confess Him. See, I think old Peter got a little bit arrogant about it. And I think Jesus was like, hey, just so before you take all the credit and you start high-fiving that you got the test question right, no, this did not come from you. This came from my Father. And finally that next week when I saw my pastor, I had told my mom I had to see him. I had to talk to him. I went into his office and I told him I had to accept Christ as my Savior. Brother Bob, used to, he, he would just say, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. He said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. I remember I wanted to jump across the desk to make sure that I could express to him. My certainty and my confidence that I knew that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the son of the living God, that he was my savior that I needed so desperately. My friends, we still need people who are making those kinds of personal decisions to follow Jesus. Those kinds of decisions that are based in truth and that are based upon the spirit of God's work in their life. And this is just what I believe. I think he's still doing it. I really do. I think his power is just as great today as it ever has been. Now, this is what I like about it. Because, in a sense, Jesus says, who do you, who do you say I am? Tell, tell, tell me who I am. And they say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus then turns around and says, now let me tell you who you are. You've told me who I am. And you're right, I am the Christ. But Peter, may I tell you who you are? And, and look at what he says. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Notice it's almost a parallel. He had said, you, Peter had said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Jesus looks at him and he says, yes, you are Simon, son of Jonah. Or in some translations it may say John. 
you are the son of John, or you're the son of Jonah. Notice that parallel, the way he brings it back to him. You're right, and you're the son of Jonah. But also, verse 18, I say to you that you are Peter. Oh, remember, remember when he first followed Jesus? Jesus said, hey, if it's okay with you, I'm going to call you Cephas. That's the Aramaic, which means rock. It's like the Greek Peter, which means rock. He said, if if it's okay, I'm going to call you Rocky. I like Simon, but I got a new name for you. Rocky. Hey, sometimes, wouldn't you love to have a new name? I've always said I'd love to have a different name. I I mean, Reggie's okay, but come on, it's not quite as cool as other names. I was growing up, I mean, I'd kind of like to have, I know I was named after my great-grandfather, according to what some people said. Reginald, I, I remember that. My mom says that. Somehow he was supposed to leave us some money. He never did because I have a bunch of liars in my family. But, you know, it's <laughs> my dad kind of because he didn't leave us money, I guess, is a little bit bitter about it and says, I think I've told you, you're not named after your great-grandfather. Well, his name was Reginald. No, no. You're named after Mr. October. You were born in October. Reggie Jackson, the best baseball player. That's who you're named after, he said. Jesus said, you're Peter. God's all in the name-changing business. Go back to the Old Testament. He'd take Abram, make him Abraham. Take Sarah, make Sarah. Jacob, which meant the heel, he would rename him Israel and make him a prince, make him a nation, because our God was about changing people's names and lives. Because when you change the name, you were changing like the personality, the personhood, the character. And he said, you're not just Simon, you're Peter. You're the rock. And if you go up into that area of Caesarea Philippi, you'll see rocks everywhere. It's almost like Jesus looked and said, you see like one of these rocks that's steady, that's foundational? You're like that rock. Why? Because he had made the confession. There are people who will try to say, well, this this means Peter is the the foundation of the church and all of that. And he he does say on this rock, he does say, I'm going to use you because after he identifies who he is in Christ, he's going to identify who Peter is within the church, within the community of faith. But it's the confession that forms the foundation of who we are in our lives. You've made this confession, understand, you're the rock. And listen, when God comes into your life and your heart, he changes who you are. You could say he changes your name. He changes your personhood. Now, I know we get back in the old days and the old nature, but thanks be to God, he still works on us. Doesn't give up. He pursues us everlastingly with his love. He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to use you. (laughs) Because I know who you are. And I want you to know who you are. You're Peter. I'm going to use you. Matthew is the only gospel writer that uses the word church. Ecclesia, which means the called out ones. The only gospel writer. But Matthew says, Peter, I'm going to use you. Hey, listen to me. When you make that confession of faith... Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When you make that confession of faith about Jesus, 
He comes and he changes your name. You are a new person in Christ. And he wants to use you in the community of faith. If you, listen, if you are a saved believer of Christ, that means he wants to use you in the context of his church and his people. This is not a spectator sport. He has called us all to serve. He says, I'm going to use you. Build my church. And there's going to be a great conquest, great victory that you can know. Because he says, the gates of Hades will not even prevail against you. See, this is what I know, okay? Is that when I made that confession of faith so many years ago now, that Jesus was the Christ, that he was my Savior, that he was my Lord. When I gave my everything to him, he came and he knew who I was and he started working on my identity. He started changing me. I am not who I need to be yet, but I'm, thank God he's still working on me. I know that he's given me an opportunity to serve him within the church context. I know that he has given me a spirit of victory in my life, even when it looks like defeat is all around. Because I know that the gates of Hades cannot prevail against him. Hey, if you stand there at Caesarea Philippi today, you'll see ruins. You'll see the old temple that Herod the Great built for Caesar Augustus himself. You'll see the ruins of that at least, that old temple. You will see right behind that old temple, this huge cave, which contained what they call the Grotto of Pan, because it was the place where this supposed deity would rest. It was literally what some people believe, the opening into the grave, into the underworld. And here's Jesus hearing this confession that Peter makes. And he says, you know what, the gates of Hades, whether you think that's it or whatever, you know what, none of this stuff can prevail against you. And you and I who've accepted Christ as our Lord, we need to be reminded of that today. Need to be reminded. But it comes back, have you made a decision? I don't care what your mama said. I don't care what your daddy said. I don't care what your grandparents did. Have you owned faith in your life? Because you will not ride, you will not ride their testimony into heaven. It's about what you've done. A friend of mine, some years ago, Tupelo, Mississippi, went to work there at Cooper Tire. He went to his boss and said, hey, I need to be off Sunday night. Why do you need to be off Sunday night? I need to be off because I go and baptize my daughter Sunday night. Well, that's great. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it's one of those church things. I need to do that. So, so we can make that happen. But then the boss began, began to kind of like go back and forth. He, he kind of, he, the boss would run over to this side, kind of down the aisle, and he would look. And he would get down, and he would look, and then the boss would run over to the other side, and he, he would, he would kind of get down, and he would look, and, and it, it just made the guy, the guy was like, what, what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing running around like that? And the boss looked at that young man and said, well, I'm just envisioning what your daughter's going to do when she gets to heaven one day. He said, what do you mean by that? 
Well, you know, one of these days, she's going to be looking all around saying, where's my daddy? Where's my dad? Why is he not here? And that young man, as he was confronted by that boss, thankfully a faithful boss, gave his heart and life to Christ and was baptized the same night as his daughter. Because, my friends, let me tell you, it's not about just what everybody else does. It's about the personal decision you make for the Lord Jesus. Who do you say he is? No, no, no. Who do you say he is? Will you confess him? And will you know him as your Lord and your Savior? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, I pray right now, because I do believe that there are lost people in this sanctuary and there are lost people in the gathering this morning. And Father, I pray, I pray that as your spirit abides with them, not because a preacher manipulates them, not because uh, of some great talk or anything else, but Lord, as your spirit speaks and works in people's lives all on this campus, Lord, I pray that there are people who are saved. I pray it. May they not rely upon their grandmother's faith, but may they take ownership of their own. And Father, for those of us who are saved, remind us of the great confession and how it still echoes in our hearts and lives and how even today we know who we are because of what Christ Jesus has done. Help us to live victoriously and help us to serve in the community of faith that you've given us. God, speak to us right now in Jesus' name.